On this episode of AvTalk, the longest flight in the world is set to return soon, but with a few twists. European regulators are moving forward with recertification of the 737 MAX, and Cathay Pacific closes its Cathay Dragon subsidiary. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz and hello Ian. How are you in the, I assume, what is already the frosty, bitter cold wasteland of Chicago? Uh, it's still too warm out. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm doing very well, but it's still too warm out. We're in the, the 60s today, which is just unfortunate. That's unfortunate. I know you're a winter person, but yes, I am a winter person. I, I like 14 feet of snow on the ground, and and bitter cold. I like layers, but but it's nice. There there's fall color. I did some accidental plane spotting the other day, which is always fun. And I had uh, for the first time in my entire life, I had a go around happen on my head. Oh, on your head? Why on were you my in head. the way? Well, yeah, fair enough. So I, I've seen go-arounds happen before, and and this wasn't the coolest one I've ever seen because I didn't get to see much of it because the reason for the go-around was low visibility. But an A320 was coming into land at O'Hare, and I was out hiking along a river trail that runs pretty close to to O'Hare, and on approach the. Everything sounded normal. Everything sounded. I was like, "Oh, you know, this airplane can't really see anything because it was it was foggy and rainy that day." And then all of a sudden, you I hear this, you know, this whining, screaming A320. I was like, "Ooh, go around!" And I pulled up the app. I forget what it's called, uh, flight something, and you know, saw the saw the trail starting to climb away. But that was a really cool sound. And it was a neo, yeah. right? That it made. I don't think it was in. No, oh, it was a CO. So definitely uh, the extra loud, spicy flavor. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, uh, extra crispy. But but they came around, and then they successfully landed. So on my way back the other way, I stopped as an Emirates Triple Seven was coming in, and that was fun to That's just watch fun. go over. I had yes. some accidental plane spotting just yesterday myself. Actually, too. There's a. Uh, a federal wildlife preserve just outside of JFK, which helps explain why there are so many birds at and around JFK. But they happen to be on the uh, 13 left visual or the localizer, I guess, our nav approach these days, which pretty much has everything swing around the entirety of Jamaica Bay right over where I was. So even in the middle of the afternoon on a Monday, there were still some pretty good arrivals. I think a British Airways 300ER, a bunch of A330s. So accidental plane spotting all around this weekend. It, this is what we've been reduced to. So didn't get to see we'll, a go around we'll though. But take what we can get. Yeah, it, was, but, it was nice. It yeah, was. It was they're fun. definitely audibly distinct since I lived out by JFK for so many years. You could absolutely tell the difference between a departure and a go around just on the the noise of the engines alone they're they're very distinct when i officially recognized that i've probably been doing this too long my mom lives about two and a half miles from the end of O'Hare's uh, main arrival runway so the 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 runway well up until the new uh, 
large arrival runway opens. It's the one that's used for nearly all large aircraft. And I was on the phone with her. I, I was at home and I was on the phone with her and I heard, I heard the go around. And I was like, oh, that's probably Qatar going around because it was the right time of day. And, and sure enough, that's what had happened. And, and she just kind of told me that I was a little nuts. But I, I, I think that's the point at which I realized that I'd been doing this a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's good that you've gotten up to that level. I, I've definitely identified a large number of flights, not only by the, the air, aircraft type, but also the airline and the, the flight number due to the time of day. It becomes pretty easy back in the day when airlines had schedules that weren't changing <laughs> by the hour. <laughs> yeah, and you could exactly. hear, oh, that's a GE90 at, at 6.25 PM. It must be AA101 going to Heathrow. And of course, it was. But these it days, I have, I have no idea what anyone any schedule looks like. Yeah, it's who knows what's coming. And especially here with all of the cargo mishmash going on, you get surprise 747s, which I am not complaining about whatsoever. But yeah, there, there's no way to- That's the best kind of 747. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so what else has been happening in the past couple of years? You have been fighting with a, a squealing sound and-, and Oh, I, I, I didn't know stopped. we were actually going to, uh, to talk yeah, about it here. I thought that was in the show notes as a joke, but- uh... No, let, let's talk about it because I need you at, in top form, Jason. Oh, okay. Well, well yeah. There's, and if uh, the squealing is bothering you, there's been I an annoying squealing sound in my neighborhood that was not made by an Airbus A220, which I I will not stand for. Oh, I heard it. I heard it. You heard and it I, finally? I, no. I, well, yeah. Well, I, people I are probably you. wondering what the hell we're talking about. So why don't you explain what it is you heard? So but this is you, a good topic to talk about. Actually, I don't think the, we've talked about this. No, we we haven't. And I finally heard it. And and now my wife is is super annoyed with me every night because you know we put the kids to bed and then there's a, a Delta A220 that comes in from Salt Lake City and it gets in at about nine o'clock. And I hear the sound pretty much every night now. And of course, I turn around and I tell her that you know it's the Delta A220 and she just kind of rolls her eyes and, and goes back to whatever she's doing. So, you had posted about this, I don't know, a couple months ago or whatever, and, and you heard a distinct sound and, and either saw the aircraft or, or looked it up on the app and, and said, oh, it's, a, it's an A220. And then you're like, well, what's the deal? And I you know, just assumed that it was you know, engine noise or, or whatever. But then a couple weeks ago, I finally heard it. And it is truly a distinct, it's, it's like, a, like a low-pitched warbling. It sounds like a whale. It, it really does. Yeah. It sounds like uh, – yeah. And so I'm going to try and record it. And if I can get a, a clean recording of it, we'll put it in the podcast in a future episode just so we can you know, prove that we're both not crazy. But I know other people have heard it too. And there's been some varying explanations, but basically the most convincing one I, I've seen, it has something to do with the resonance of the, the geared turbofan and then how that resonance changes as the aircraft moves relative to your position. And how things are happening as it's preparing to land. So I, I don't have an exact answer, but if you're near an airport where A220s are landing, keep a listen out because it, it's a very, very distinct sound. Yeah, it's distinct. And um, I actually, let's see if I can play this back, if you can actually hear it. Let's see if this works. Were you able to actually hear that? 
I kind of, but, but kind of, no. but it, it sounds like a whale. And the thing about it is it's not louder than your typical engine noise or, or the surrounding areas. I actually tried to take some rudimentary, extremely non-scientific sound meet readings. It's just that the, the sound is so much different than any other engine noise because it's so kind of low pitch, but kind of whiny. It, it pierces through the ambient noise because there's just nothing else out there that sounds like it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a sad whale. And they do or maybe come a happy whale. I don't know. They do come on a schedule, whale. so when when I hear it, I I I think whale because it's completely unlike any other of the other stupid ambient noises I hear outside. It's not it's not the the screaming high pitched metal. No, no. I think that I think that's over. I think that finally stopped. But right, if here, the A two twenty makes the noise, that's fine. It's allowed to do that. There you go. So let's follow up on what we talked about last episode for a few minutes. We had Steve Giordano on from Jet Test and Transport, and and that was by far one of my favorite interviews. And judging from the feedback that we've gotten from listeners, it was one of theirs too. And so we had talked about in the episode what Steve was going to be up to after we recorded. And one of the things that he was working on was bringing a former Jet Airways 777 out of India. And he was going to be delivering a 737-400 freighter from Florida to New Zealand. Well, that happened. But on the way into New Zealand, something else happened. He was flying in the left seat. And the left side window, the outer panel of that window, shattered. And it doesn't affect, you know, the the flying of the aircraft. The, the aircraft, you know, he landed, no problem. Everything was fine. It was just the outer panel. But you know, it, that's not something you want to have happen. No, but he he does go on to say that they actually see two to three of those per year. Uh, the last one was on a 757 and it was the front windshield, which is, I, I bet, a lot scarier and a lot more difficult because that obstructs your view. But this is apparently something that does not super frequently, but not unheard of frequency happen to aircraft that are pulled out of storage after a, a long period of time. I mean, and, and that makes sense. You know, things sit and get whatever they get and then you you take it off the ground after it's been there for a long time. You put it up in the air through, send it through a couple of pressurization cycles. And I, I could, I could see how that would happen, but good thing. It was just the outer window, the flight deck windows and well, all windows on aircraft, but the flight deck windows especially are made of a variety of layers to accommodate things like this specifically. So he made it there and then is, I guess, on his way back. So I'm really glad that it was just the outer panel. Yeah, and I bet he, he got a good too. story out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our our update on episode ninety five. Jason, new business. What do we have? In a rare bout of good news, I guess this is good news. Singapore is reinstating its ultra long haul nonstop flight to New York with a twist. It's actually going to New York this time. Yay! Yeah, that's nice. So they're shifting over what was the longest flight in the world from Newark to JFK, as any any good airline would and should do. And they're reinstating that soon, actually, November 9th, which is only what, like two weeks from now? So uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's two and a half weeks from now, which is 
pretty soon. So this flight to JFK is actually three miles farther from Singapore than Newark is. So this is officially when it operates will be the new, new longest flight in the world. Whoa. Yeah. The new, new, new. The new, the, the new hotness. So it'll operate three times a week. <laughs> uh, the JFK Singapore segment is blocked at 18 hours and 40 minutes. And there's, there's, wow. a tw- there's a twist this time though. They are, they are not using the A350 ultra long range that you, the ULR that was specifically purchased for this route. They're using just a, a, a basic A350 long range aircraft, not the regional version, not the ultra long haul version, just, just the regular A350. That has 42 business seats, 24 premium economy and 187 economy seats. So if you are one of 187 people who would like to sit in an economy seat for 19 hours, good news. You can do that. You now. can do that. But they did specifically call out the need for cargo for this flight. So I, I right. can't imagine they're operating this for passenger demand, especially since you can't even go to Singapore if you're an American. I don't believe you can transit now. But this is almost certainly a, a ploy for uh, nonstop cargo rather than human yeah, and one of the big points they made about the JFK port, you know, flying to JFK rather than Newark was that it would allow them to better service their cargo customers. So that was one of the one of the big things they mentioned. And you know, like the I think Gavin uh brought this up uh, on Twitter. The A350s they've got for this, the non-ULR, just the regular old A350 900s they've got for this are the increased maximum takeoff weight variants. So they'll have the ability to carry a bit more. So it's not really about passenger load. I mean, you could book the economy seat and have a, a pretty decent chance of- Having an entire you know, cabin to yeah, yourself? Yeah, having at least. So so I think that you know it's certainly less about the passengers and, and certainly more about the, the cargo. But it'll be interesting to, to see how many people actually end up on that flight. Yeah. This is not a route I expected to come back anytime soon. So I'm quite surprised to see it. I mean, in November, in 2020 at all, and coming to JFK is a nice nice added bonus, but they also have no guideline for when the, the one-stop flight that went via Frankfurt will return. That's due to come back whenever the market dictates, which could sure. be who knows when. Well, I mean, that, that was on the A380. A380. So I mean, yeah. So that, I, I don't, I mean, who knows when the, the stop will come back, but it- It used to also be 777 as well. I think it rotated in 777 seasonally, uh, so that could happen. Uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But yeah, I, I don't- If you're barely needing the single flight, you know, I, I can't see that that other one coming back anytime soon. But yeah, certain certainly something that I did not expect to see. I mean, because they, they've got- Cargo, how much faster can it be? I mean, what, 19 hours versus what, 24, 25 with a stop? I mean, if you're just hauling cargo. So it, it's interesting to me. I guess they've decided that, you know, it those extra few hours are really going to make a difference. Yeah. Well, Singapore doesn't have its own dedicated cargo unit, right? Yeah, they do. They do? Yeah, they, uh, they operate 747. I mean, I'm sorry, not, not Cathay. Who are we talking about here? We're no, talking Singapore. about Singapore. You, no, you were both right and wrong. You said the right airline. But Does yeah, Singapore no, they still do. have its own uh, cargo? Yeah, operation? they do. They do, yeah. Oh, haven't seen them in a long, long time then. 
Yeah. I often forget they're small, but so I often forget that they're there, but they're still there. But even if they were going to use a passenger aircraft, it seems to me, you know, what is so critical that those extra few hours, or, or maybe it's a fuel savings. I, I don't know. Who knows? But uh, it, yes. Either way, I will take this good news and I will not look it in the engine. Yes, absolutely. Something. And I, I do see they, the, they do have uh, seven 747-400 freighters in uh, Singapore Airlines cargo fleet. Yes. So let's see, what else do we have? I guess in in generally okay-ish to good on the, on the spectrum of news, the European Union Aviation Safety Agency executive director came out last week and said that the headlines were interesting. He he was speaking to to Bloomberg. Bloomberg went with the headline that says the European regulator says 737 MAX is safe. Yeah, that's not what <sighs> I mean that's not quite what I mean. He did say that, but he didn't like. It wasn't like a final. Like we're done. No, it was we're moving along. The, the news to me was that they've harmonized the timeline between the EU and the FAA. Right. They they are now is what it really sounds uh, like. Yeah, exactly. Yasa is now caught up to the point where FAA has already been. FAA has gone through the the comment period as we've talked about before before uh, the aircraft is actually okay to fly again now EASA is up to that point where they are putting their recommendations up for up for their own i believe four week comment period but again the article or the headline made it seem as if the the max was retaking the skies imminently you still have to have airlines go through the pilot retraining process and that's going to take a long time yeah i mean this week, American Airlines said that they're going to have it back in service at the end of December. I think it was December 29th. So, just really sneaking under the the 2020 wire there. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say that it's not going to happen. Okay. I, I was going to ask what your thoughts on that were because it, to me, it sounded more realistic but still optimistic. Right. So we'll see. But beyond the headlines, as far as the Yasa news was concerned, I, I thought the really interesting part was that they've they've found themselves on the same timeline as the FAA. And to me, that seems to be not at all an accident. So because they've been pushing very hard for and by they I mean Boeing and the airlines have been pushing very hard for kind of a, a regulatory harmony so that we're not seeing you know, this regulator says yes, this regulator says no, and Yasa has in part agreed to allow to not require certain hardware changes prior to recertification. They'll have to be retrofitted, but come in with the Max 10 and then be retrofitted back on. So I, I thought that was an interesting, yeah. interesting way of going about it. And that's the the first we've really heard from a, a country other than the U.S. with the FAA about where the MAX stands. We have not heard anything recently from China specifically that they had a huge chunk of the the grounded MAX fleet, and I don't believe we've heard anything out of their regulatory agency. I, I was just about to say I would would love to hear something from China. Absolutely, yeah, or the what? UAE with the uh, Fly Dubai fleet. Yeah, I mean, what we we heard from them via the FAA public comment. Yeah, that was weird. It's still, I still don't understand that part. But we heard from them there, and I guess we'll hear from them 
you know, in, in the future. I mean, there's only so much they can say, I guess. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. But things seem to be moving along. Certain airlines, American, is I think overly optimistic. Others have just not said anything yet. So so we'll see. I to me, I, I think the realistic barometer is what Southwest does. Yeah, uh, that's definitely a good point. Is they had a Southwest has a, a huge vested interest in the, in the Max. I don't even know how many aircraft they had or how many they have pending delivery sitting in a desert somewhere. But uh, I don't believe Southwest has really said much of anything about it recently, has it? They no, they have not. Not not very recently. I, I think it's foolish of American to put a date on the Max returning. There's just no need to do that at this point. It's very strange to me, and and I don't understand why they did it. And the only thing that I could think of is, as far as a calculus is concerned, is that maybe that pushes something along. You know, we we've scheduled it, but they've done this before. I mean, right. you know, various airlines have said, well, you know, we're scheduling it for you know November, October, January, July, whatever, and it has it's you know it's come and gone. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it yeah, seems the so only reason it needs to be in the schedule is, is so it's actually scheduled and there a, a few months ahead of time, so people can actually be on it. You can't just really insert it at the last second. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it seems a little early to put a firm date on it like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe when pilots start training, that you know, we're, we're actually training these people. We're actually you know starting to do software updates and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see. In the not good news category, Cathay Pacific announced today that they are reducing their staff by thousands. And as part of that, Cathay, the Cathay Dragon subsidiary will cease operations immediately. And that is exactly what happened. Um, yeah, they're uh, not great. Cathay, much like Singapore, uh, has no domestic market to fall back onto. So they've had very little revenue coming in since there's such heavy restrictions on, on actually flying into Hong Kong. They really don't have any business right now, which is really unfortunate. So they've had some dramatic cutbacks. As Ian just said, Cathay Dragon gone immediately. They will, they will not resume flying Cathay Dragon and the rest of that fleet, which is mainly Airbus A320 family and A330s will be distributed amongst Cathay Mainline and HK Express, Hong Kong Express, which is a low-cost carrier wholly owned by Cathay, I believe, which is a big drop in the, the passenger experience on board if you're going from Cathay Dragon, which is kind of like baby Cathay, and you're going to an, an, a low-cost carrier like HK. Not great. But also, the, the first Cathay Dragon 321neo just rolled off the line in, in the last day or so. So that, that's always awkward. Yeah, well, <laughs> just uh, new titles, I guess. And I think Seth Miller said just changed the red from to green, and you got Cathay. Yeah, there you go. Problem solved. Yeah, but that that's unfortunate. And Cathay also announced, or I believe local media had uh, questioned that the triple seven X that they were initially accept. Uh, expecting this year or next year will now be pushed out beyond 2025. So there isn't even a date for that now. So the the future for the 777X is not looking particularly bright. And I, I made the comparison earlier today to the A380 in, 
it may be up there in terms of exceptionally bad entry to market timing. Like the A380, uh, it was the wrong aircraft for the wrong time. And it sure seems like the 777X is the wrong aircraft for the very wrong time right now. Well, but the problem with the 777X is actually just getting it to enter the market. I mean, you've got Boeing's delay. You Well, you've got the, the GE engine delays. Those seem to have been resolved. And then you've got the Boeing flight test program delays. And now you're finally getting the aircraft ready. And then look what happens. Nobody wants it. It's just well, far and, too big for COVID-era airline operations. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know who who takes... I mean, Emirates is going to take some, obviously. How many of their the order they actually take, that'll be interesting. And when they actually take them, also interesting. Lufthansa maybe takes them? I mean, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I, mean, I just It will know. be, as A380s retired amongst all these airlines we're talking about, it, it could be potentially be a good air, uh, replacement for those A380s that are being sidelined and probably never returning. But these airlines are also grounding aircraft that are smaller than the 777X. So the, the timing all around could just could not be any worse for this aircraft. Poor 777X. And it's a really nice aircraft too. I yeah, mean, the, I haven't the, had the chance like to see it. it get in person, but one day I hope. Yeah, <laughs> what one day. So you've been following the DOD's study of COVID transmission aboard aircraft. They partnered with United Airlines. They've been doing some research over the past few months, and they released a report this week. And the headline off the report was, it's difficult to catch COVID on an aircraft. You've done a bit more reading on this, and so I would like you to share the insights you have gleaned. Sure. So basically, uh, the DOD took a couple of United aircraft in a time where they weren't doing anything else. This is a couple months ago when the aircraft was sitting idle, a 777-200 and a 767-300ER. So this was conducted both with wide body aircraft, not narrow body. But basically, more or less, they, they filled up the aircraft with a bunch of dummies, not actual passengers, dummies, and a whole bunch of sensing equipment to determine... If one passenger on board the aircraft is infected with COVID and is asymptomatic and is not wearing a mask, how likely is it that other passengers on board would get infected? And at the end of the day, the report more or less said it's virtually impossible. It's not impossible, but it's extremely improbable that other passengers will contract COVID on board the aircraft, and this is before uh, mask requirements were really a thing. That is to say, I have reservations and exceptions with this study, and that not everyone wears a mask on board. You're always going to have one or two jackasses on board who refuse to do it. You have times when you are eating a food, eating a meal, or drinking a drink, which happens on every flight. Airlines are, are re resuming service, so. Not everyone is going to be wearing a mask at any given time. And honestly, I, I think flying is safe. I think the, the filtration systems and the air circulation and the air refreshing coming in from outside is sufficient to keep the risk of contracting COVID infinitesimally small. But I, I'm not 
too encouraged by the rest of the travel ecosystem. What I've observed from people who are flying in the airports and hotels and shuttle buses and everywhere in between, just flying on the aircraft is a, a small portion of the travel experience. It, it doesn't account for the entire ecosystem from A to B. So while flying itself might actually be the safest part of your vacation or your business trip, there are other factors that need to be looked at. What if there are multiple passengers on board with COVID? What if you have the overhead air nozzles turned on? There's really more factors, I think, than this study accounted for. But it's a data point that says your risk of contracting COVID on board an aircraft is low, and that's good, but it's still not getting me to travel, mostly because I can't travel anywhere because Americans aren't welcomed anywhere I want to go. That's a very fair point. Yeah. So that part sucks. Yeah. But if yes, you do, it does. if you have to travel domestically, whatever, for for business or for personal reasons, it's good to know that as long as everyone is wearing a mask, you should have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. That is welcome news. I, well, I guess this falls into the category of we'll take what we can get. Yeah, exactly. Just be smart about it. Wear a mask. Listen to the scientists and the people who know more than you or I about this. And don't be that guy or, or girl who decides they don't want to wear a mask because they, they heard on Facebook that it's not good for you. So speaking of not good for you, we've got a winning bid for Jet Airways. Why? That I told you, it's not good for you. The CalRock bid was accepted. And so they're now looking at resuming flying inside of six months. Why? Again, I do not know. Okay. I mean, last year we were talking about Jet Airways. Someone we know who was just recently on this podcast was going to scoop up one of their 777s who's been stranded for, I don't know, a couple of years at this point. Well, I, I don't think they'll be resuming flights with that particular aircraft. <laughs> no, but this is ridiculous. India's completely closed off, I think, to, to most countries. So where are they going to fly to? I have no answers beyond what I have already okay. here. Maybe, maybe they need a new name. Are, are, are any airlines out there that we know that have been in, in constant financial trouble coming up with new names? Well, I mean – We've got Baltia. I was looking for you to transition over to Alitalia. Oh, I guess. Yeah. But that's, okay, fine. Yeah, I, I, I put that on down that as a failed transition. That one's that one's a fail. Yeah, failed transition. Anyway, moving on. Moving right along. Okay, so it, here's the thing. It's not a new name. It's we don't know what it is. Nobody knows what it is. That's what makes it so fun. I was reading this article. In, in Flight Global. And the headline is Italian ministers signed decree establishing Alitalia's successor. And I thought that's interesting because Alitalia still exists. Yeah. And they're still operating right now. So the government signed a decree to establish a new national airline to succeed flag carrier Alitalia. So, so basically what they want to do is reinvent Alitalia. So right now they're calling it Nuco, inventive title, 
I am sure. And so they, they want a new national airline because they've been trying to figure out what to do with Alitalia because Alitalia is one of those airlines that cannot be killed. There are a few of them. We've talked about them multiple times on this podcast, but, but Alitalia, so in this particular instance, they want Alitalia, but not Alitalia. But it will be Alitalia. It just won't be called Alitalia. But it'll be a new airline, but it'll actually be Alitalia. I'm confused. If anyone understood anything I just said in the past 30 seconds, please email us at podcast at fr24.com and explain it to me. I think we the only thing we comprehend of this is that they'll be shrinking the fleet in some way or another. Yeah, it's it's very, very not clear to me what they're actually going to be doing. Because all of this is talking about, you know, reversing its earning losses, investing in the fleet and and all of the the ancillary things that they do on the ground. But it doesn't say how they're going to do that or or what will be changing other than we're calling this a new carrier and it's going to be invigorated and it'll be great. So I don't know what's going on. Pretty much the only thing they've said for sure is that they don't want to be in Sky Team anymore. I mean, does anyone? Ooh, ouch. I enjoy I I Sky Team because I, that's I don't where know. my points are. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, I, I it's yeah, does I mean but I, I suppose this is a separate podcast, but what is the value of alliances these days? These days I'm not sure there is. So we'll we'll set that one aside for for another podcast, but they yeah they have not said much and uh, and who knows what will happen. Hopefully they keep the that triple seven three hundred. That thing is still around. flying. The one aircraft they were supposed to get rid of is like the one that's still operating. Oh, nothing makes sense. Everything is strange and nothing makes sense. On that note, you let just us take found a quick the podcast break. Title? Yeah, I did. Let's take a quick break. Catch our breath, and we will come back with a rundown of new stuff and some milestones that have happened over the past couple of weeks. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. And now we've got the the portion of the show where we run through a variety of uh, milestones and things that have happened in the past couple of weeks that don't really need to be discussed in depth, but are worth mentioning. The first is that Qatar pilots are getting yelled at for not using a single engine to taxi, and they're supposed to be. And Jason knows more about that. Sure. So it's specifically taxiing into the ramp, and this is a cost-saving move as obviously operating two engines is twice as expensive as operating one engine, give or take. Qatar actually expected 95% of the time for its pilots to be taxiing in on a single engine, where in reality, its pilots were only doing that 55% of the time, and it was actually, or it is actually looking to take disciplinary action if it finds that any pilots are taxing in on two engines and there isn't a justifiable reason for it. So I went, as I typically do, to Twitter and said, hey, commercial airline pilots, why is this a thing? Why wouldn't you 
turn off an engine and, and do single engine taxi. And it turns out, Ian, as you might imagine, there are a bunch of legitimate reasons why you might not do that. The first of which is that in COVID times, it is actually really quick to get from the runway to the gate in many circumstances. Since traffic is uh, down so much, there's a lot less ramp congestion. And with a lot of aircraft, specifically, I'm told in this case, the GE90 and the 777-300ER, there's a cool down period that needs to be adhered to. Uh, apparently, that's three minutes. So after you land, you can't turn off the engine for at least three minutes. And there might actually be some cases where you can get from run, uh, turning off the runway into the taxiway and get to the gate in about three minutes. So that's a bit of a problem. There's also cases where some airports have what's deemed to be a significant upslope onto the stand or you have to cross an active runway and you need the, the power of two engines to make sure you can get across the runway or up that hill. It might be because the APU is not working and you need increased airflow for uh, these days because you need that the constant airflow from the air conditioners to uh, keep that air being constantly treated through the HEPA filters and bringing air in, uh, and in most cases, I guess, bleed air in fresh air from outside. And also, apparently, in some cases, it, it's a, a pilot tactic when they're upset with the airline. It's a, an easy way to basically a negotiation tactic to burn extra money that might not need to actually be burned. In, in, most, <laughs> okay. in most places, this is not something the airline can do anything about because it's recommended to, to taxi on one engine, but it's not something they can really mandate. But I was told by multiple pilots in public that this is sometimes uh, a tactic that's employed by pilots when there's a union issue of some sort or basically a bargaining chip. So that's that. But not great that Qatar is uh, pulling data from flights to see how often its pilots are taxiing on one or two engines and, and threatening disciplinary action. Apparently, that will not fly in, in many countries where there's organized labor unions, which is not a thing in the Middle East. Huh. Who that, knew? That was more in-depth than I expected. Yeah. You, you kind of led into this segment as it won't be in-depth, but I, I did it. You went in-depth? Yeah. I didn't know there was that much because we hadn't really we hadn't really discussed uh, the, this particular issue. So I I actually learned something well, there listening you go. to this podcast. There you go. So other things that have happened this week or, or in the past couple of weeks, sticking with the Middle East, Etihad became the first... Gulf-based airline to overfly Israel. It was Etihad Flight 88 from Milan to Abu Dhabi. Basically, took the most most efficient path, which passed over Israel. Israel, and for the first time, that that actually happened. Then a few days ago, they flew the first passenger flight to Israel. So both accomplishments, and then upcoming, there will be. UAE-based carriers flying to Israel, Israeli carriers flying to the UAE, and that'll all be coming up beginning, I believe, early next year are the uh, the first regularly scheduled flights. What else do we have? We have an order from Sky Express. Well, that's good. It's rare to see any aircraft order these days. This is from little Greece-based Sky Express, who does not currently have any, I don't believe they have any jet-powered aircraft. They only have ATRs in the fleet, I believe. So this is their first Airbus proper order, and it is for six A320neos. 
So yeah, that's nice. Take what you can get. Yeah. So technically their first Airbus order, even though ATR is kind of sort of Airbus. Close enough. Close enough. So yes, A320neo, six go in a Sky Express. Uh, put it on the book for one of the very few and far between orders of 2020. Again, taking what I can get here. Not a new order, but a transfer and an interesting one at that. Wizz Air took delivery of an A330 freighter to operate on behalf of the Hungarian government. That particular aircraft is a former Qatar Airways cargo A330. So it's currently painted in the standard Qatar Airways livery minus all of the the Ibex markings. Uh, So it's just that gray gray top. It certainly looks kind of like a a military aircraft at at this point. So it would be interesting to see if they rebrand that either in a Hungarian national livery or in Wiz livery, which I think would be the most interesting here. That'd be weird. Uh, yeah, I you know it would be it would be fun. I also always thought it was weird that Qatar disliked the A330 freighter so much, even though it was in desperate need for freighter lift. Even placing the orders for the seven four seven eight freighters after the embargo kicked in, so it really needed to ramp up its cargo operation. But it disliked the A330 freighter so much, it got rid of them. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Because I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with the A330 freighter. Maybe one of our listeners can tell us why Qatar didn't like them so much. But they didn't and they found, uh, they found a home with Wiz now or, or with the Hungarian government and, and operated by Wiz. But interesting and just one of those random aircraft deliveries nonetheless. Speaking of strange, random, and surprising... Southwest Airlines is going to begin operations at Chicago's O'Hare Airport and Houston's International Airport relatively soon in the next year, which I did not expect, but seems to make some sense. Yeah, I guess that's uh, different, but also it seems like everyone's coming at United these days. JetBlue did the same. In Newark, they they invaded Newark and did started up some uh, mint routes out to LA in direct competition with United. And now Southwest is doing the same. They're go- they're going to the north of Houston and the north of Chicago. And I sure I look forward to one day flying Southwest between LaGuardia and Chicago. I hope because that route could use some extra competition. I I would like to see that. What would what is be interesting to me is where Southwest ends up go, physically going at the airport. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about that as in where does Southwest end up in, in these airports, but I'm guessing some air, other airlines will eventually drop out not by choice and some space will open up for them. Yeah, and that's entirely possible. A new airline has flown its first passenger flight. Zip Air, the Japanese low-cost carrier, which had been due to start service with their 787 earlier this year, pushed back passenger service. They had been operating cargo-only service throughout COVID, and they just started passenger flights uh, last week, and the first flight had two passengers on it. That's not great. No, that's not great. Obviously, the cargo is still doing a lot of the revenue generation here. But uh, two passengers, not not Yeah, not great. not great. So Zip Air, not the first new airline to start up operations in the region. Remember, Starlocks out of Taiwan started up at the beginning of the pandemic and uh, 
really bad timing on behalf of both of these right now. I hope they both make it. But at least I, I, I hope at, so too. At least Zip Air has the corporate backing of Jal to, to see it through this. Starlux had nothing. So good luck. <laughs> so really quick stuff before we go today. Airbus has delivered the 1500th A330. That went to Delta and promptly flew into avoiding tariff storage in uh, Amsterdam, I believe. So you can't fly on it yet, I don't think, but it's it's been delivered. An inauspicious uh, so, smile. So that's nice. Yeah. So so that becomes the the A330 becomes only the third aircraft, third wide body aircraft to have over fifteen hundred deliveries. Jason, can you tell me the other two? Seven four seven and seven three seven. No wide body aircraft. Oh, wide bodies. Uh, seven four yep. seven. And not going to be the A300 or A310, 767? The 777. Oh, really? So the 767 never made that milestone? I don't think so. Wow. That's surprising. Or if it did, it, it a combination of passenger and mm. freight, pure freight. So we will double check that. But yeah, 747 and then the 777 are the, are the other two. The A320 MSN 10,000, so not the 10,000th delivered A320 family aircraft, but MSN 10,000 was delivered to Middle East Airlines, registered T7ME3 because it is their third A321neo. And what else do we have? Oh, the first A321 passenger to freight conversion that we had talked about previously was delivered. So I checked the registration and the interesting thing to me, I don't know if they did this on purpose and I really hope they did. The registration, it's operated by Qantas Freight for the Australian Post and the registration is VHULD. I get it. yeah, right? I, I really hope this is on purpose. So, so ULD stands for unit load device. It's the container that they put onto an aircraft to put stuff into to standardize the, the containers. And I really hope they did that on purpose. It, it can't be an accident. No way. If it's an accident, I that would be an incredible an incredible accident. But I really hope they did it on purpose. And finally, there's a new tail in town. Does it begin with jet and end with blue? It does. Wow. So their first A220 rolled off. That'll be interesting. Oh, and just out today looking at some schedule info, it looks like Delta will take delivery of their first A220-300 at the end of this week. So you could be listening to the podcast when it comes out on Friday and watching the delivery flight of Delta's first A220-300. Oh, and one more thing about the JetBlue 220. Uh, the new tail fin design is named Hops, and I believe it's the first one where they're also painting the winglets, which is interesting. But uh, a number of people commented uh, on how sharp it looks and how visually kind of great the whole package is and that the engines have a really nice blue hue to them on the front and how the the slats yeah. on the front of the wings are orange. No. I've got some bad news yeah. for you. We've seen this before, I think with Egypt Air. Those are, are not a part of the livery. They're not a part of the design. They are 
kind of like when you get a new piece of uh, electronic hardware where it has some sort of plastic cover over the screen. It, yeah, the, the cling film. Yeah, it, it's that. Unfortunately, the, yeah. the, the ring on the front of the engine is not blue. The slats on the front of the wings are not orange. They are just visually distinctive, so they're taken off before the aircraft is actually flown or put into service. But I think it would look really good if they somehow came up with the ability to paint those parts of the aircraft. It does make for very good photography. It looks good. It does. Uh, yeah, I th- yeah. it was the uh, the Egypt Airy 220 where we were like, oh, that looks great. And Why do like, I remember just, things like that? I honestly don't know, but I am very thankful that you do. Well, this has been episode 96 of AvTalk. We're inching closer to episode 100. A few of you wrote in and provided some helpful suggestions on what we should be doing for episode 100. The, the floor is still open to any and all suggestions. We've got nothing. <laughs> we at this point where we're we're just scratching our brains. But we'll think of something, I hope. But in the meantime, please email us, podcast at fr24.com, or you can find Jason and I roaming the halls of Twitter on a regular basis. But until then, thank you all for listening very much, and we will see you next episode. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.